Football is back, and this Raven season, there are huge prizes to be won at Safeway. Enter Safeway's Flock In and Win sweepstakes, and you could win up to $10,000 cash or autographed Ravens merchandise. All you have to do is shop the participating items throughout the store and enter your codes from your receipt at SafewayFlockInAndWin.com. Safeway makes sure Ravens fans have all of their game day needs to tailgate or host like a pro. Stop in and discover why football is better at Safeway, the official supermarket of the Baltimore Ravens. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the best ever Big Mac burger. Take it away, Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, there's more special sauce in every bite. Rubble, rubble. He said, rubble, rubble. Rubble, rubble. Rubble, rubble indeed, my friend. Try the juicier Big Mac and get 20% off any purchase of $10 or more. Only on the app. Comparison to prior classic burgers, limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid once per day. Excludes tax. Must be opted into rewards. Welcome to Season 4 of Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. This podcast is not just information, but impartation and activation. We believe that every conversation will encourage, equip, and empower you to live the daily supernatural life. Subscribe to this podcast and then share every episode with your friends and family and be activated. And thank you so much for joining in to another adventure in the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you guys, I have a free resource available for you to dialogue with the incredible Holy Spirit. That free PDF download is available in the podcast description right now so that you could draw near to Jesus. You could have fellowship with the amazing, incredible Holy Spirit and see what the scriptures say about dialoguing with the Holy Spirit. So that resource is available for you. Do you want the power of God to be evident in your life? Do you need to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Are you curious about the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues? And do you want it in your life? My wife and I have a free e-course available for you called The Baptism with the Holy Spirit, where you will learn the biblical truth and spiritual reality of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And you'll hear true stories of how people received the promised gift. The videos in this e-course will expand your knowledge and understanding of the Holy Spirit baptism. You'll be drawn closer in relationship with the Holy Spirit and receive prayer and activation into the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You can also go through it with a small group of friends, a church class, or a discipleship group. You could download the accompanying PDF for each lesson and apply the principles to your life and take the action steps. Your faith will grow as you read the scriptures, watch the videos, and participate in the activation. The gift is for you. The gift is for today. The gift is to empower your spiritual life. We know that you will finish this course with the divine empowerment that comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So start your journey today. Go to charismacourses.com slash collections and click on Jared Lasky and enroll in the baptism of the Holy Spirit e-course. Guys, I'm excited for today's very special guest. I have Ken Harrison of Promise Keepers and of Waterstone. He's the CEO of Waterstone that helps Christians give away more than $2 million weekly for God's kingdom. He's been featured on the 700 Club, Fox News, Blaze TV, the Huckabee Show, and he's the volunteer chairman and CEO of Promise Keepers. And he has several books out, one of which is called Daring Faith, How to Live Boldly in a Cowardly World. And he's here to inspire you to draw near to Jesus. So please help me welcome Ken Harrison to Adventures in the Spirit. Welcome, Ken. Thanks. I I dig the uh, intro music, man. That was cool. It's a little edgy. A friend of mine from the Marine Corps put that music together. He was one of my sergeants, and I know that you served as an officer in the Marine Corps. So it's just kind of awesome. This is season four, and he put together that music. I've got permission for that. It's called Pathogen. So big shout out to Will Black. But Ken, can you share your story and, and let people know some of your background? 
Yeah, well, so I guess you mentioned part of it. I went through Marine Corps OCS, turned down flight school to become a Los Angeles police officer instead. My dad had been a well-known LA cop, as my uncle, and my dad was shot when I was a kid on duty and then retired. So I want to follow in dad's footsteps. So I was a Los Angeles policeman for a few years down in the what people would know as Compton, you know, South Watts, that's that part. And uh, got out of there, got into business, created an international company, sold it, ran a bigger international company for several years. And then finally it got to my, myself to a point where I could really go into serving the Lord full time and not have to worry about getting paid, which is always a nice yeah. situation to be in because people say, well, you know, man, you're so bold. The things you say, you don't care about what anybody thinks. I'm like, well, it's a lot easier to be that way when you're not worried about your paycheck. You know what I mean? Like so many people in ministry today are really, there's so much wokeness, so much pe- people want to be offended that pastors and, and ministry leaders end up in a situation of how to be careful about what they say. Well, like the Lord, I don't have to be. Well, I know what it's like to be censored because of some of the things I say as a veteran. I think I have a different perspective and so so do you, different perspective on these things. I stand for free speech. I stand for our God-given rights. I don't want to politicize or nationalize my biblical understanding or things. But I mean, scripture's inerrant. It's infallible. But we have rights here in America that we stand for. I mean, they pulled my YouTube for a couple of days, just took everything because I said something that the bot didn't like. But we need people to speak boldly and have a daring faith. So you inspire men around the world. How did you get your in Waterstone now is abundant. I mean, obviously, I, I'm just shocked at the numbers there. $2 million, a million dollars a week into the kingdom of God. And then that kind of launched you into being part of Promise Keepers. Can you share that story? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting story. I'll give you the short version of it, but it is very cool. And I think it's cool for the typical person out there who wants to serve Christ. Because I think in Western culture, especially America, we we tend to idolize people. We make people into celebrities. If, if you're on the stage or you're on camera, I think one of the great things about podcasts and stuff is it's taking away this allure of excellence just because you happen to be on a camera. But we tend to do that. And yet God uses normal people. You know, I was on a TV show one time and somebody said, isn't it great that God called you to, to lead Promise Keepers? I go, well, yeah, the good news is he called me to run Promise Keepers. The bad news is he only, only calls losers. So, and honestly, I had retired, was planning on sort of living the, the second half of my life for, for myself, not not in a bad way or sinful way. I just, I was just a nice American Christian you know, doing a nice, nice American Christian things. When God really got a hold of me and challenged me, are you going to pour yourself out for the rest of your life for the kingdom of God or for yourself? And I really had to make this commitment. I would give all, no matter what, no matter what it cost to the Lord that day that he challenged me. And then he would make me wait four years until he told me what the direction would be. And for four years, I waited. God's favorite word is wait. I mean, he just loves to make us wait. He's working on us, teaching us patience, teaching us to count on him and let us understand that he does all. All we are 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 yielded vessels to him. So one day I was working on my second book, Rise of the Servant Kings, and I got this text that Waterstone was looking for a new CEO. And I I walked inside, said to my wife, this is my next job. And she said, who are they? What do they do? And I said, I don't know. But a friend sent me this text and I know that this is supposed to be the next job. So literally about a month went by and she's like, aren't you going to tell somebody you exist? And I said, no, the Lord said, this is my next job. They'll find me. And they, they did. They did a national search. Now narrowed it down and I just never tried for the job. I just had already known from the Lord that was what it was going to be. And I didn't understand what Waterstone did and neither do most people. And it's, it's a Christian foundation that helps people give away assets to God's kingdom. So you have a lot of people who have land and businesses and grain silos and oil wells and all kinds of crazy things. 
And Waterstein has all these amazing experts that help them to take those, turn them into the biggest tax break they can and get as much of that cash um, into giving as possible. And it gets very, very complicated from there. But the great thing is that the people don't understand that you can get like double tax breaks if you do it the right way and the people here know how to do it. So I'm the CEO of Waterstone and it really is a brief story of one of the things that we do is we found out about a gal in Kenya who had 30 sex slave girls in her 630 square foot house that she was trying to help, a Christian girl. She was sleeping in her closet with a child under each arm to make room for as many of these girls as possible. Now you just think about for a minute what it would be like to have 30 girls living in a 600 square foot house. Yeah. Now imagine the trauma of these being sex slaves that had been actually kidnapped and rescued back. Imagine that all those girls in one place. Waterstone was able to go in and build a 150 girl dorm, a school, a well, and a new house for that woman for $400,000. So that that's sort of the thing. So we give away $2 million a week just to do that kind of thing. So that's super cool. And then Promise Keepers came along in the midst of all that. And I didn't realize God was calling me to do that as well. I only took Promise Keepers over actually to to shore them up and pay off their debts and, and get them in the right direction. And then uh, the Lord let me know that Remember that conversation we had about you giving all? Well, this was it. You're, you're bringing back Promise Keepers. And I was like, man, I don't want to do that. I mean, Promise Keepers is one of the most trusted, incredible names in all of Christendom. The trust that's been built up by other people, not me, is amazing. And I didn't want to be responsible for that name of Promise Keepers. But here we are. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we wanted to talk a little bit about accountability, right? This is a topic that I think needs to be heard. Some people think it's one thing over another. It's not supposed to be dictatorial over some people. What does accountability look like? And why is it that men and women of God need accountability? You know, God gives grace to the humble and he opposes the proud. Accountability requires humility, meaning to be accountable to someone and to hold someone else accountable. Both of those, if done right, take great humility. We have an epidemic of the friendless American male. It is really terrible. And men are not being held accountable by other men. Your wife shouldn't be the one holding you accountable. There may be instances, but men need to hold men accountable and women need to hold women accountable. And the reason I say it takes great humility to hold someone accountable is that the Bible is filled with the fact that Christians need to be lovingly, humbly confrontational with each other. James says, if you see your brother drifting from the truth and you rescue him, you save him from death and a multitude of sins. Jesus says, if you see your, bro- your brother sinning, rebuke him. And if he f- repents, forgive him. So we see that we must have the ability to go to someone and tell them when they're wrong. And in fact, we've, we swallow this lie from the pit of hell that somehow being a great Christian is being non-confrontational, being nice all the time. But Jesus wasn't nice all the time. Jesus was always correct, always kind, always loving, but not always very nice because it's not very nice to say to the woman at the well, you're right, you don't have a husband. Actually, you've been sleeping around with all these guys. Now let's deal with your sin. Well, that's not nice, but it is loving because she needed to have herself dealt with in the truth. When someone comes to Jesus and praises him, he says, I didn't come to bring priests to the world. I came to bring the sword. What does he mean? He means talking about godly accountability, going to each other doesn't always bring immediate peace, but it brings long-term peace when we're real, when we correct each other in the truth with love. So that would be godly accountability. I think we need to reshape our minds a little bit that in order to really have quality solid relationships, especially as parents, but as married people, and then as friends, sometimes you have to be confrontational in a loving way with somebody to get them back on the right path. And 
more importantly, you have to be willing to have that done to yourself. Yeah. Well, that's, that's key. You have to be willing. You said it, you have to be willing to have that done to yourself. What does that look like? Because over the years I've had different accountability partners, whether it's a small group or a mentor that I've asked, Hey, can you speak into my life in a certain area? But what does this look like where it's loving and it helps correct people and shape their character? Yeah. So the first thing is you have to have a relationship. The second thing is you have to develop trust within that relationship. Christians can be obnoxious. You, you can know, say that run. again. Yeah, man. I mean, Christians can really be. Sometimes we say, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. No, you're just being persecuted because you're a jerk. If you're going to confront someone in their sin or because they drifted from the truth, the first thing you have to do is actually have a relationship and built up enough credibility to where your words mean something to that person. You don't walk up to some person out of the blue and tell them this or that. Man, I, I was a victim of a lot of that when I was a kid, the legalistic people who thought their opinion was somehow inspired word of God. So the first thing is, if you want to be accountable, or hold somebody accountable, excuse me, you need to have developed trust with that person so they actually care what you have to say. Secondly, to be held accountable, you have to ask yourself, is this person worth, person worth listening to? You know, there's a great advice. Never take criticism from someone you wouldn't go to for advice, Right. Never take criticism for someone to whom you wouldn't go to or for advice. That's really great advice for social media. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, man, but I get shredded. I mean, I've lit Twitter up like a few times with just thousands of people attacking me, going crazy. So what, man? I mean, when I see that, people ask me if I get angry and I said, no, I feel sad. I feel sad for all these passive aggressive little people who think they're being bold and they're just attacking me over nothing, over silliness so that they can sort of make themselves feel bold. It, it, it's a sad state of America, and I feel sad for them that they need Christ. So on accountability, how does that look? And I would say that ability to develop trust with somebody before you you know, say something. If you're going to confront somebody on their drinking problem, maybe you should have enough credibility that you don't have a drinking problem first. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. Well, you mentioned up mentioned something that needs to be addressed about social media. Yeah, you mentioned keyboard commandos. I'm the one saying keyboard commandos. Okay, they think that the the world is going to change by their tweet. It's not. The world changes through relationship. Mm-hmm. The world changes through face to face discussion, dialogue, debate. It seems like we've lost that in the last couple of years. But we need dialogue. We need debate. We need open discussion. We need face-to-face and we need accountability. We need even people of a different denominational persuasion speaking in our lives. Like for me, I was in YWAM. I grew up in a non-denominational church. I went to a Pentecostal charismatic Bible college. Later, I went to a fundamental Baptist seminary, learned a lot there, and then went and got my Master of Divinity from Regent University, which is ecumenical, spirit-empowered, multi-denominational, and I've just got friends in different walks of life. So would you say that, you know, that that's something that's needed because like we need to sit down with people that are, aren't just yes people or, you know, saying like, yes, you're right on this, you're right on that. You know, we need people who are like, well, here's a difference. What, what do you say about that? First of all, good for you because it takes a confident person to put himself or herself into situations where they might be exposed as being wrong. You know, if you love the truth, then you love to be challenged to say, is what I think I know right. That's one of the things that Jesus means in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you've got to die to yourself every day. Pick up your cross, come to scripture and say, Lord, teach me today and get rid of all the things I think I know and all the prejudices and let me see your word for what it is. Because I get a chance to be with these seminary professors and, and presidents and famous pastors and have discussions with them. And I'm, I'm surprised by how, how many of them have this systematic theology that they stay within and 
you can't get them out of it. Like you, you challenge the verses that just completely throw out their whole belief system, but they won't change. They're just rigid. They, they, they're locked in here. And man, I don't want to be that way. Lord, let me know. Speaking in tongues, not speaking in tongues. I want to be led by the spirit about what's what and not have somebody tell me their opinion about things, right? What does the Bible say? And that's what we have to aim on. I don't even remember your question anymore, man. I <laughs> well, would you encourage people to talk and have accountability with people of different denominational preferences? Um, so I do. I'll tell you, it's funny. On the Promise Keepers board, we have Sam Rodriguez, I think, one of oh, the yeah. preachers in the world, Pentecostal preacher. Mm-hmm. We have Donald Bergs, who's the head of the African-American Association of the Chasen of the Southern Baptist Convention. So you have a black Southern Baptist with a Hispanic Pentecostal and sort of everything in between. And I think it's very important. And you know what? We get together as a Promise Keepers board and we have so much fun. Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma is on our board, who was a Baptist pastor. So we just love each other, man. And it doesn't matter that we have these denominational differences as long as everyone is coming at things from scripture as the inerrant word of God, and we may have interpreted things a little bit differently. That's what's so important. I would also say people have different experiences. I mean, the world's obsessed with race right now. I think we have race up on a pedestal. One of the reasons is because when you're living in sin, what you want to do is find something that at least you're not as bad as the next guy on. And that's why so many people, especially leftists, are pointing the finger at each other, screaming racism, racism, because they're living in abject sin. And they want to at least say, well, at least I'm not a racist like you. And then they define racism however it's best for them. So one of the things to get rid of that is to talk about to people about their experiences. And so I can just tell you, uh, you know, as an L.A. cop from an all black area, very much had a distinctive education about race in that context. Now, being with a lot of black leaders, Tony Evans and guys like that, and sitting and listening to their experience, it it affects you. Sometimes what you think, you know, isn't really exactly quite the same way. Just last week, I was with a leader that I really respect who supports affirmative action. I don't. I think affirmative action is awful. Explain to me why you support affirmative action. He laid out his case. I laid out my case for why I thought he was wrong. We had an hour-long, really great discussion and went, friends, disagreeing. Yeah. You got to be able to come together and say, explain to me, because we all have different backgrounds. That's why we're the body of Christ. We get to disagree. We get to have the hand has a different opinion about things than the foot. The foot gets walked on all day. The hand is doing something else all day, running around, making all these things happen. They have different perspectives. They see the world from different ways. So denominationally, class, race, all these different things, female, male, how do we see things and why do you see things that way? You know, for me, I'm six foot three, 230 pound guy who's been very well trained in, in combat. I'm not scared to walk down the street at midnight through downtown Denver. My wife, who's five foot three, 110 pounds, has a different perspective. We need to respect each other's positions and perspectives. Yeah. Amen. Well, I was curious about your book, Daring Faith. So you've got a couple of books out. You've already mentioned one. So a daring faith in a cowardly world. Can you give us like a, you know, a synopsis of that for people? Yeah, thanks, Jared. This is really important. Uh, So I was raised, I'd mentioned it a bit earlier. I was raised in the church as a Christian, very legalistic. You know, King James was the only Bible that you could read and rock and roll was evil. And, you know, I mean, everything, all that garbage. And then really discover the grace and freedom of Christ. And then in, in face a lot of a lot of shootings and high speed pursuits and all that stuff on the LAPD. So face death in the in the sort of fi- adrenaline filled way, meaning by the time it really registered what was happening, it was over. Right. And, and 
then we'd all go have beers and, and laugh and talk about whatever just happened. You know, every day we get together after work and we would all talk about all the nonsense. It was unbelievable. You just sit and listen to the stories of guys just after one day of work in South Central LA. Wow. But one day I was hit by a jet ski. I, I remember I was riding this jet ski and I remember thinking, gosh, man, I'm in this crowded place. There's boats everywhere and these people are all drinking. This seems really dangerous. And as I thought that, kaboom, some drunk hit me. And so I ended up in the emergency room, broken ribs. And the doctor says, look, man, you've ruptured your liver. If you've ruptured less than 40% of it, we're going to life flight you to a trauma center, cut it out, and it'll grow back. If you've ruptured more than 40% of it, you have five hours to live. Wow. I said, well, I mean, how will I die? Because what do you mean, dude? You won't have a liver. I said, well, but, but what kills me? Like, what is it? And he said, oh, well, you'll, your body will poison itself to death. And he walked out of the room. So I started off the book this way. So for about an hour before I got the results back that actually I was you know, going to be okay, I am I about to meet Jesus? Am I in, in four or five hours? Will I be standing before the cross? And when Jesus says, what did you do with the faith I gave you, the grace, the privilege I gave you to use the awoke word? What did you do with that? Who was saved because of you? Whose life was changed? Who was fed? Who was clothed? I was going to have to look at him and say, nobody. I mean, I was a good guy. I lived a good life. I, I went to church on Wednesday like the real Christians, you know, Sunday night and Wednesday and Bible study. And I didn't change the world. I didn't do anything. It got me on this whole journey of what, what's the point of the Christian life? Why does Jesus make these incredibly difficult demands of us? And then we pretend like he didn't actually do it. If salvation is by faith alone, which it is, then what is all the rest of the words about? Why is Jesus going on and on about dying to self? picking up your cross. If you're not willing to say goodbye to all your positions, you're not worthy of me. Huh? What's he talking about? The rich young ruler. Hey, you know, I want to follow you. Will I keep the commandments? I have. You're right. You have to keep all the commandments. Now give away all your money. What? Why did he, why did he tell Jesus? Why did he tell the rich young ruler? So I, I went on a 30 year, uh, 25 year intense journey into what does that mean? Came down to basically the Bible passage from Ephesians Two eight nine for by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, right? It's a gift of God. Let's not mention both. So our salvation is strictly and totally by God's grace. And even the faith we have to believe in him came as a gift. What's the next verse? Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. In other words, once you gave your faith, your life to Christ, you became born again, meaning you're now a baby. Right. Now you need to grow up because we're, we were created. Why talking only to believers for good works, not for salvation, but that's why we were created and saved us to carry out good works after which, what good works, the ones that God put down as a plan for each person's life at the beginning of time. So you and I, and every other person who's truly saved has a mission to accomplish. And we will be judged second Corinthians five ten, based on how well we carried out that mission. And the Bible is filled with all these promises about what about that? And the last words of Jesus in, in Revelation 22, he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to each person according to what he has done. He's talking to believers here now, not about salvation. But Jesus promises that the overcomer will rule with him in the millennial age. Only the overcomer, not all Christians. And most Christians I know, the 30-year-old Ken Harrison hit by a jet ski wasn't no, no kind of overcomer. But the ones who overcome the world and accomplish the mission God, Christ has gave them will rule with him, reign with him in the millennial age. Paul says, I'm pushing forward for that crown, for that special resurrection. Not that I've yet attained it. Really, Paul? You? You haven't yet attained it? 
Then Paul says in 2 Timothy, when he's getting ready to be beheaded, now I know, now I know I have attained the crown of righteousness. And not only me, but all those who love his appearing. So Paul now is at the end of his life and he realizes, now I know I've run the race to win. I've boxed the race to be a victor. I've fought like a soldier in victory. Now I know I'm going to reign with Christ. So for each one of us, the same thing. I go into all the promises and rewards and, and crowns and challenges that Jesus gives us for the reason for our life. And Jared, I think this is when, this is why men are leaving the church. They don't feel like there's a point. We, we preach this message that, sorry, I'm giving you this long answer, but I get passionate. We preach this message of cheap grace that Dieter Bonhoeffer called it, where it's, it's grace without repentance. It's just, I mean, excuse me, salvation without repentance. It's, you know, you said a magic prayer and now you just sit back and you got yours. Now you can just watch the world burn away for Jesus to come back. And boy, that is not the message. Jesus has some, some, some terrifying words for us if we're lazy. And, and I'll, I'll just go into one brief part in the end of Matthew 24. The disciples have gone to Jesus and said, tell us about the end times. So Jesus goes on about the end times. And then he concludes with this. Who is the, the slave who the master will reward? It's the one when he goes away on a trip and he comes back and he finds him serving him. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of many cities. There it is again. Reign with Christ. However, if that slave, this is one person with a choice. He's either serving him and, and he was rewarded. Or if that slave, slave says in his heart, my master's gone a long time. No one knows when he'll be back. Therefore, he starts to eat and drink with drunkards and beat his fellow slaves. That slave will be thrown into the outer darkness with the hypocrites, with his weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so a Christian with a choice, serving Jesus, rewarded, not serving Jesus. Actually, it says cut into pieces. What does that mean? Cut into pieces. Well, we have the, the passage in the Hebrews, the word of God, a two-edged sword, right? Cutting. So he's cut into pieces by the word of God, thrown into the outer darkness. What is that? Well, I go into the book and show that it is being thrown out, excluded from the wedding feast. And Jesus has all these parables he talks about. If you remember the guy that's at the wedding feast, not in the right clothes, and the master, God the Father, comes along and says, how did you get in here? Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. So this is not hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is not punishment. It's not, excuse me, it's not pain. It's weeping, sorrow, gnashing of teeth, anger, and a wasted life. Uh -huh. So we have a choice. Serve God, rewarded with life. Romans chapter 8, choose life not death. Death is living in this world, living for your flesh. Life is living in the spirit. Over and over, we see that. Again, to emphasize it, because Christians get really worked up about this, this is only to believers. It's not for salvation. It is after salvation. It will not dictate whether we go to heaven or hell, but it will certainly dictate where we stand in heaven, which has many different ranks and different possibilities. And I want the best that Jesus has to offer. Amen. I like what you said. I want the best that Jesus has to offer. So we're talking about a daring faith in a cowardly world and also accountability, accountability. So Ken, what is, um, what, what are the next steps that are going to be taking place now for promise keepers and for yourself? You know, we've, boy, we've learned a lot. It's been quite the time, you know, COVID and all that stuff. We had booked Dallas Cowboy Stadium in 2020, July of 2020. It was great timing. And we were the last one standing. We had not, we refused to cancel it. And then the governor of, of Texas canceled it for us. So we, we redid it in 2021. And we had 30,000 guys there, which was considered to be a huge success. And we were written up in the Washington Post and everybody said, couldn't believe we got so many men together. However, what we've learned, you know, sometimes when God calls us back to something, you, you assume he's going to do the same thing. And I think for promise keepers, it's not the same thing this time. I think 
what we found is I mentioned earlier, the friendless American male epidemic. So we've developed an app and we have right now about 50,000 guys on it with really high usage. And wow. anybody can get on there now, just go to the app store. You can get a deep conversations, get discipleship. We put the greatest sermons on there, the greatest content so that men can get onto that app and really see good doctrinal content. We're starting a tour in October of we're not going to do the stadium thing because it's so expensive and so just egregious to put on. We said, you know what? If we do this, we get to go to one city. We need to get this message out to as many people as possible. So starting in October, we're going to go to mega churches because it's really simple and fast. You end up getting a church and a pastor in a city behind you. So we're going to be going to 11 different cities between October of this year and June of 24. We haven't announced all those yet, but I'll, I can say here, the first one will be in Houston on October 27th. And then we're going to basically go coast to coast. So there will be a Promise Keepers a mini Promise Keepers event. It'll be a Friday night only coming to a, a city near you, pretty much no matter where you live. Awesome. Ken, can you pray for people listening in and, and watching this right now to apply the principles that they've learned from this, whether it's accountability or to live boldly? Father, I just, um, I pray for everyone who's listening to this now, who thinks somehow they've gotten so used to hearing the voice of the evil one saying, you can't, who do you think you are? I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them now, that you would close their ears to the habit of listening to that voice. And they would hear the soft and gentle voice of your Holy Spirit, that they would realize that you call people and that when they gave their life to you, you had a plan for them to accomplish. And that plan was within the gifts that you gave them. And it doesn't mean having to be the big person on the stage or writing books. It might just mean raising really godly kids. It might mean getting involved on the local school board and standing for truth and against tyranny and evil. Lord, I pray that each person has the confidence and the humility to seek you, to lay down all their defenses, to lay down all the things they think they know and say, Lord, what is your plan for me? What do you have for me? And then understand that maybe your favorite word is wait, that once they get to that point, then you can begin working on them slowly and surely. And then they'll look back four or five years from now, not thinking anything was happening and realizing they're a massively different person than they were back then. May we have all, all of us the patience to wait on you to work within us and to work within others. God, I pray for unity upon the people who have truly are overcomers, who have given their life to all. We know we can't have unity with carnal Christians who live and seek the flesh. But God, let us be people who live in your spirit, who choose and seek life, who go for everything that you have promised us and you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ken, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you for more information and even purchase your book? Oh, thanks. Promisekeepers.org is a great way to get a hold of me. You can get all the information from there. You can also email me from there. The book, it's, you know, it came from HarperCollins Christian, Thomas Nelson. So any place they sell books, Amazon's the usual place. I would say if you buy the book on Amazon and those places, leave a review because it's helpful to keep momentum going. You know, there's so many books out nowadays that if you're really blessed by it, you know, write a, write a review so people can what kind of wade through the stuff and, and get to the stuff that's really content they want to see. Awesome. Well, I want to encourage everybody, go to promisekeepers.org, stay in touch, download that app that is available for you. It's on the App Store and purchase your a copy of the book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, available on Amazon and anywhere that you prefer to get your books. And also, as always, guys, subscribe to Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky podcast, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Ken, thank you so much for being my very special guest. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for listening to Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky, a podcast that activates you to live the supernatural life. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and share it with your friends. Leave a five-star rate and review, which helps us reach more people with the love and power of the Holy Spirit and partner with us at firebornministries.com. And may you live your best spirit-empowered life and have your own adventures in the Holy Spirit. From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawk as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy, as Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts.